Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. The theme of biblical exile actually has a lot to say to us uh, today. Uh, no, you know, Webster's uh, Dictionary defines exile as the state of forced absence from one's country or home or the state of voluntary absence from one's country or home, uh, which is kind of a fancy way of saying exile is the feeling or being uh, displaced or disoriented. Uh, It's a time when all of the comforts of home uh, are absent from your life uh, or from your community. Uh, And hey, kiddos, if you uh, didn't grab a bulletin, they're available in the the back. You can follow along there. Uh, And there's some scribble room, too. Uh, Also, uh, here's a great idea. If you're ever bored during this morning's message, uh, you know that little dot game that you see at, like, children's menus? Like, how many squares can you complete and count those? This is, like, money right here. So just, like... It's like you could totally play that game during the message. So there's lots of options today. Uh, don't want to see anybody asleep. So, uh, so what we're going to do during this series is actually explore exile as a metaphor or a symbol for where the church is today. Uh, we'll mostly be using it in a communal sense, but we're, there's certainly a lot of personal uh, truths uh, and applications that can be made as well. So I want to read this morning's uh, passage of Scripture. It's out of Jeremiah 29. Uh, Verse 11, probably many of you already know that verse uh, and hopefully bring some new light to it today. Um, But uh, I just uh, encourage you to listen closely and then after uh, after I read it, uh, then I'll say this is the word of God for the people of God to which I invite your response. Thanks be to God. Uh, So Jeremiah 29, 11, beginning with verse, uh, going through verse 13 says this, uh, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And then you'll call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. Uh, You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, if we're going to understand exile, we must uh, root ourselves in the Old Testament story of Israel. Uh, Israel is the nation that God raised up to be a light to other nations in order to demonstrate to the world what it looks like to live under the reign and the rule of God. Uh, They were God's chosen people. They carried the promise that through them, the whole world would one day uh, be blessed. And so the history of of, uh, Israel runs in a linear fashion. That is that there's a clear beginning. Uh, There will be a clear end. But even as the story unfolds in a linear fashion, there is also a circle to the story. Uh, That is to say that as their life moves along a path of time, it seems to circle back on itself, or uh, this is a fancy way of saying uh, history tends to repeat itself, right? Uh, So uh, I want to show you a a picture, actually, of of this, what this kind of circular life uh, of Israel looks like. And we tried to make the font as big as possible so that all of you in the back could read it. That's uh, a little bit sarcastic. That's okay. Uh, so at the, up, up at the bottom, actually up at the bottom, down at the bottom, uh, it begins in exile. And it's important to see that uh, the life of Israel actually begins in exile. Uh, the nation that God promises to build from the person and family of Abraham is really just a handful of people. Uh, when they are exiled into Egypt because of a severe famine. So they, because of a famine, they travel their whole family, uh, which at that time was just a handful of folks, into Egypt. And in Egypt, uh, they grow into a large nation. 
uh, but they are not at home. So their, their communal, their national life begins in exile, and that's the bottom of the circle. And then as you go uh, this way, clockwise over to land, you realize that through the leadership of Moses and Joshua, as we read along, God brings them out of exile into the land that he has promised them. Uh, and, and the time or the, the era of going into the land is a time of fulfilled promises, of new hope, uh, of, of getting out of slavery and exile. It's a bright futured time for the nation and the people of Israel. Uh, and then at the top of the circle, the top or the pinnacle of the history of Israel is the era of kingship. Uh, this is uh, the, the people of Israel asked for a king. Now we read that first God, God doesn't really like this idea. After all, they are to be the people who embody what it means to have God as their king, and yet they insist on a human king, and so God gives them that. And, and really, during the kingship of the first three kings, that is Saul, David, and Solomon, Israel does pretty well. They, they have a whole season in their national life where they are top dog, they are uh, doing really well, they have lots of wealth. Uh, they, in other words, they move to a position of power and influence in the region. Other nations seek out Israel to enter into treaties with them. This is absolutely the pinnacle of their history. They are on top and enjoying a comfortable life, right? And then uh, the problem is, as you go, continue to go uh, over to the right-hand side, you have division. Uh, in other words, the kingship and the, the comfort and the prosperity of that doesn't really last very long. Because with a king other than God, you have this uh, kind of nasty little thing called taxes. So it wasn't long before the people started to complain, They're, the taxes are too high. Uh, then the people, in order to stay on top, you have to wage war. So they sent their sons into battle. Many of those sons did not come back. And so the pressure of being on top becomes too much, and the nation eventually is divided into two, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. And during this time of division, there are some kings who bring about a new burst of revival and recommitment to God, but the whole story seems to be moving in the wrong direction once again until finally in 587 B.C., Israel is defeated and then forcibly exiled into Babylon. And in many ways, they feel like uh, they're right back where they began. And so as they're, as they're moving along the linear time frame of history, they seem to be going in a pattern that repeats itself. And, and seasons of exile can be a really difficult time that raise all kinds of questions, questions like how did we get here? How did we go from all the comfort and wealth and prosperity and power and influence of the kingship era? How did we end up already right back into exile? It can raise questions of is everything over? Is this the end, right? When you're moving from positions of power and influence into exile, being pushed to the margins, it can feel like this is absolutely the end. There's nothing after this. Or perhaps even a, a really key question is, has God deserted us? Has God deserted us in this season? It's interesting that that kind of question, has God deserted us, is really a question that comes from a belief that God is, you, is only with us if He is blessing us, Right? Sometimes we understand God's presence as purely being blessing. So if I'm blessed, God is with me. If I'm not blessed, God is not with me. That's sometimes the way we tend to think about things. And so the question is raised, has God deserted us? 
And this is actually in the Old Testament story where the, the prophets become really important uh, because uh, particularly the four major prophets, Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, and Jeremiah, because what the prophets do is they speak into those kinds of questions and they remind the people of something very important. They remind the people that God is up to something, that God is moving, God is acting, God is working, God is up to something. And in our passage this morning, Jeremiah 29, 11, uh, the famous graduation passage, right? Uh, church marketers have made billions of dollars on this verse. It is so inspirational to slap it on a journal, on a bookmark, and give it to someone at graduation, right? And so even though our passage this morning, while often used at graduations, to encourage young people that God has a particular plan for their individual life that is for sure going to lead them to happiness and blessing, this passage and this word from Jeremiah is actually written not to an individual, but to a nation, and not at the peak of their academic career, graduation, but in exile. So when we put it, so I'm just like, I just want to throw this out there. When we do this for graduates, I think we're getting it a little bit wrong uh, in terms of uh, contextual clues and the context of the passage. Because what Jeremiah is doing is he's talking to a nation of people who are exiled in Babylon. And so what, what, broadly speaking, what the, what the prophet of Jeremiah is doing is he's inviting the people to lament uh, what is in the past and then to receive the new thing that God is doing, which is why he says, he says, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to give, prosper you, plans to give you a hope, plans to give you a future. And he's speaking this truth into a a group of people, a nation of people that feel that everything has been utterly lost. And he's speaking this word. He's saying, listen, I have not forgotten about you. Or more properly, I have not forgotten about y'all. <laughs> right? I haven't forgotten about all of you. I am still here. I'm still present. And he's, and he's also, like broadly speaking, inviting in other passages of, of uh, Jeremiah, he's inviting them to actually lament the past. And this is a really difficult thing, isn't it? A, a lot of times when we have sort of the glory days or the good old days, what we want to do when we're, when we're feeling like all disoriented and all of that has gone away, what do we want to do? We want to go back. We want to go back there to the good old days. We want to go back to the glory days of church. We want to go back to the good old days of here. We want to go back when everything felt right and relationships were good. And man, if you're anything like me, can I have a moment of honesty here? Like I look back on my college days with such fondness because all of my best friends were a short walk away, right? It's just like I, it was the first time in my life where I had such tight-knit community. It was the first time in my life I was experiencing real friendships. And I look back with such fondness. And there's been some times in my adult life where I'm like, you know what? Being a college student is pretty sweet. And I wish I could go back there. But the words of Jeremiah are so wise. If you feel a sense of loss or disorientation of what has gone previously, lament that. That's okay. But also embrace the new thing that God is doing in your midst. And I think that that's a really prophetic word for the church even now. Like, Sometimes we think, oh, if only things were like they were back then. 
um, then, then that would be better. We, we would, if we, only we could get back, but the problem is there's no going back. There's only embracing what is ahead, and that's the invitation of Jeremiah and the voice of Jeremiah. Now, the, we're talking about the voice of the prophet. So the, the, the prophet Ezekiel, his message is that these dry bones will live again. Right? That, that sometimes uh, the nation of Israel, as a metaphor, just feels like this valley of dry bones. And so the Lord gives Ezekiel a vision that there's a valley of dry bones, and then all of a sudden they, those bones start coming together, and new life is breathed into them. It's, it's a way of, of the, the prophet Ezekiel saying, God has not forgotten about you. It says this in Ezekiel 37, verse 11 and 12, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. And they say, Our bones are dried up. Our hope is gone. We are cut off. That's what exile feels like. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says, My people, I am going to open up your graves, and I am going to bring you up out of them, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. It's good news. I haven't forgotten about you. I am up to something. Daniel encourages Israel to live as God's unique people, even in exile. And Isaiah declares the hopeful message that God has not done with his people. The voice of the prophets becomes so important in the midst of exile to the nation of Israel. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, that's all really great, Pastor, but what does that have to do with us? I'm glad you asked. For those of you who have been Christians for a long time, if I were to ask you where you see the church in America on that circle... Can we put it back up? Where do you see the church in America in that circle? There's a good chance that you might say somewhere between division and exile. And I would agree with you. I would agree with you. In my lifetime, I've seen Christianity move from a place of prominence to a place of marginalization. And that move began way before my lifetime, but during my 38 years, these things have changed. Because I grew up in a world where culture still had some biblical knowledge. Pastors, when they preached, could assume some level of biblical literacy. When I was growing up, the city cleared the community calendar on Sunday mornings to leave space for, for church attendance. Those things just aren't the case anymore. And we live in a season now where the church is experiencing all kinds of division as we work hard to discern where is the movement of the Spirit of God. And we experience all kinds of division over who believes that and is it the right thing and all of that kind of stuff. And we're, we're at war basically with one another. And the, and the world's kind of going, what's up with them? Right? And, and it's kind of moved us from a position of power and influence and say to marginalization. Uh, and, and all of this really might feel a bit like exile. That sense of being at home has been lost. And in fact, uh, can we just admit that this is just a weird time? Uh, many Christians feel that the easy answers they have been given just don't work anymore in a complex world. Uh, many, let's be honest, feel betrayed politically in these days. And these are difficult questions, or these are difficult times, and can raise all the same kinds of questions that the nation of Israel had in exile. Like, how did we end up here? What, what in the world got us here? Or is God still present? Is this the end? All those same kinds of questions. And the truth is that in the midst of feeling like uh, we're in exile, there are two possible responses. One is, and uh, I won't ask for a raise of hands if you know anyone who has done this, but one possible response is we could just complain about how much we don't like change. <laughs> right? 
Option number one for response is uh, a collective whine from the church, right? Of just like, man, this is terrible, the world this, the world that, those Christians this, and just kind of whine about how much we don't like change. I wish things were like they used to be, you know? Um, I I don't want to be too forward here, but like I kind of wish that we still just had Sunday school, this and that, and Wednesday night and Sunday night. I kind of just wish that we did that, and I wish the culture played into that. I wish we'd go back to the glory days, right? Uh, that's, that's one option, to complain about how much we don't like change. Uh, the other option for response is, is we could actually try to recapture the glory days. We could, like, gather the army. We could, we could go and, and start, uh, like, entering into culture wars and take back the culture for God. Uh, so that we could seek back a return to a place of power and influence. That's, that's a possible response. And, and I suppose uh, that plenty of folks are, are seeking to do that. But, but, but I would say that these responses are misled. There's a better response to exile. If, if you were to draw a straight line uh, across this circle, dividing the top of the circle from the bottom... And then uh, if I were to ask you, would you rather live at the top of the circle uh, during land and kingship uh, or at the bottom of the circle during division and exile? Uh, Most people would choose to live in the top half of the circle, right? They would choose to live in the comfort, uh, in the security of the kingship era. But what's important to know is that as, as Scripture narrates Israel's story during this time, we find that the people of God, when they enter into the land and get power and influence, you, you, you read this, the people of God become largely complacent. In other words, it's a comfortable time, but it isn't a very fruitful time. You hear me? Uh, and so while none of us would, I mean, that's kind of the place that we want to be, like, hey, that's where things are easy and it's all good, and it's a comfortable time, but as we read the narrative of the story of Israel, it's not a very fruitful time for the people of God. They, they grow complacent in their power and in their influence. Now, hardly any of us would choose to live at the bottom of the circle during times of division and exile, but as the story is told and narrated, this becomes one of the most fruitful times for the people of God. In other words, it's uncomfortable and difficult in a lot of ways, but becomes a really fruitful time for forming us into the people of God. I want, are you hearing me this morning? Uh, and so if you, were, if you could draw a line and then uh, at the top you could say comfortable, unfruitful. At the bottom you could say uncomfortable, but fruitful. And I think that's really important for us to realize and to recognize today. That it is during the difficulty of division and exile that the people of God seem, that, that, that God seems to do some of his most significant work in his people. And so in listening to the voice of the prophets, we are reminded that even at the bottom of the circle, that exile is not the last word that God is up to something, God is doing something, God is moving us somewhere, and we can't go back, but we can go forward as we discern the movement of the Spirit, that the whole message of of the prophets is that in the midst of exile, that is not the last word. Exile doesn't have the last word. God is doing something, he's up to something. And isn't that what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about? Amen? 
The gospel of Jesus Christ is all about sin doesn't get the last word, grace does. Evil doesn't get the last word, good does. Death doesn't get the last word, life does. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so my encouragement to us today is to resist the inclination or the temptation to go back to the good old days or the glory years. When the church was in a position of power and influence and had a lot to say on how the culture was shaped, let's, 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 uh, let's do a little thought experiment. Well, let's not do a thought experiment. Maybe I just want to make a statement. <laughs> it's like, let's go into dangerous ground and then let's come back. Um, I, w- I want to say this, that when the church was in a position of power and influence and we had a lot of say in how culture was shaped, let's recognize two realities. We did some things really well. And when I say we, I mean the capital C church. We did some things really well. And we did some things really, really bad. Okay? And if we can recognize the really, really bad part, that maybe even pushed us into marginalization and feel those feelings of, of disorientation and exile, then maybe, maybe that's what God wants to form in us and work in us about. And remember, exile is really uncomfortable. Does anybody feel uncomfortable in the church? I won't ask you right now, and I'm not talking about your temperature, right? I'm not like it's cold in this room or it's hot in this room. But do things just feel a little bit off? Is maybe your faith hanging on by a thread and you're just not sure how to make sense of what you see happening in the world? I would just say that, yeah, it may be uncomfortable. But if we will lean into what we're learning, what we're hearing, and lean into the Spirit of God, guess what? It can be really fruitful. It can be really fruitful for the people of God. So instead of cursing exile, I want to invite us over the next seven weeks to embrace exile. I want us to recognize that times of exile, whether corporately or whether personally, can be fruitful in our walk with God. And that if you are here today and you're experiencing a personal sense of exile this morning where you feel displaced or uncomfortable, I want to say to you, God is working in you, God is walking with you, and there is movement by the Spirit of God in your life. And if you feel a corporate sense of displacement for the church, that maybe, you, maybe you've experienced church division firsthand, maybe your faith is hanging on by a thread, then I encourage you today that God is still with us, God is still working, and he's working not necessarily to return us to positions of power, but God is working in us to form us as a people that bear his likeness. Are you with me? See, sometimes when we want to go back, we just want to return to the power and influence that we once had. And what I want to say to you is that God's working is not necessarily to return us back there. God's working is to form us more into his likeness. And if we can embrace that corporately, then I think we'll be good. And we'll know how to handle and navigate seasons of exile. So my encouragement to you today is not only is God present, but God is up to something significant in exile. So let's embrace exile and listen to the voice of God over the next few weeks together. Can we do that? Amen. Amen.